Well, we are in the book of Matthew, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 3, um, chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 17. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up, they'll pass one out and hand it to you. This is a, this is a really fun text, and a kind of a perplexing text as well, because, because we know that, that, that all four Gospels kind of line up this text as the pivotal point at which Jesus becomes like who Jesus, we, most of us would know, where his ministry kind of begins at this point. It's, it's a little perplexing because there's a, there's a lot of discussion, as most of you, as you're turning there, that the title says, The Baptism of Jesus. And so it's perplexing. A, a, a lot of people go, well, why? Why was Jesus baptized? I want to set the stage up a little bit. We, a couple weeks ago, um, John talked through John the Baptist, and he was talking about how he was out in the wilderness, and he was baptizing people. And, and people were coming from Jerusalem and Judea, and they were coming from all over, coming out to the, out, the wilderness to get baptized by John. And now his, his message was, was repent, repent and be baptized. It was, it was turn, from, turn from your sin and be baptized. And we know that he, the Pharisees even came out at this point, and, and he calls them brood of vipers, sons of, of, of basically Satan, and says that you don't even know what you're doing or why you're here, so, so go away, and kind of turns them away from being baptized. And then this text kind of starts where, where Jesus enters the scene, and, and we don't know necessarily if it was, I mean, while he was speaking to the Pharisee, if, he, if he'd been there for a while, but, but it kind of picks up at this point that says, then Jesus um, came to, so Matthew 3, 17 or 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would, would, would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so this, 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 this happens, the stage sets. Okay, so here's, here's Jesus coming and, and John wants to, to prevent him from being baptized, but not the same reason why he was preventing the Pharisees. In this setting, we, we know, because um, we learned from, first, or from the other gospel, that John recognized who he was when he shows up. He announces him, the son of the Lamb of God is here. So we know that this is, this is, and there's some awareness to it, and, and, first John, and John lets a little bit more, the Gospel of John lets us know a little bit more of why John knows who he is, and we'll get there in a second. But he, he wants to prevent him from doing this. And so the question is, is why? Why would John want to prevent him? And, and some people would say it's because John doesn't feel worthy to wear his sandals, so why would he baptize him? And I think that may be some of it. But also because John had been speaking a message of repent. Repent and, and be baptized. And John, in, in because of... This, what God is doing to John and, and his role as a prophet before the Messiah, he knew that, that this was the Messiah, the Son of God, who was in no need of repentance. And so John's saying, look, I, I can't baptize you. You, you. you don't need to repent. So then the question I would have for you and for all of us is then why does Jesus get baptized if he does not need to repent? If he is fully God, fully man, he has, we know that from Hebrews and a bunch of other books in the Bible that Jesus was without sin. That's what makes him the perfect sacrifice. That's what makes him the sacrifice for, for all of us to, to, to believe in so that we can have a right relationship with God. So we know that he's without sin. So there's a couple theories. One is that he's just doing it out of obedience. He's just doing it in the idea of, okay, I'm just going to symbolize what baptism is because we see the value of baptism, and so he's just kind of doing it as obedience um, to, his, to, his, to show his followers, to give an example of that. But I think that kind of limits it 
because we also acknowledge that, that, that maybe he's, he's, he's seeing that John's standard of righteousness is, is legit. And so he's just kind of saying, like, let me model this for you. Let me show you that John is who he says he is, and he's, he's empowering John's ministry, which is important because that does fulfill some of the Old Testament prophets or prophecies in that the new Elijah or John the Baptist would come before the Messiah. So maybe he's doing it just to, to empower John's ministry. And there's another idea is that, that the, Jewish, um, the Jewish tradition, a ritual would be that every single year, there was a new year for them. Every, every single year, a new year. It's, 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 it's really deep, guys. Um, <laughs> that there was, this, there was this new year, and I can't really pronounce it right, but so I'm not going to try. But basically what would happen is at the beginning, the high priest would would do a ritualistic cleansing of themselves. They would sacrifice and they'd prepare themselves to be the, the high priest so that others could come at this new year and present their sacrifices and, and, and be cleansed. And the idea, the ritual was essentially in place so that, that they could have blessing that year and hopefully that God would allow them to some blessing and there wouldn't be um, too hard of a year. So this would happen every single year. Now the high priest would cleanse themselves and it would be 40 days until they would start the process of taking the sacrifices and helping with those to follow. So, so maybe this is, a, this is a, a point to the fact that Jesus is the one true high priest because he is truly baptized and 40 days later he's, he's tempted by the devil and we'll talk about that next week. And so, so maybe that's what this is doing. But all of these things, whether it's, it's one or the other, it's a little bit of both or something else, they all kind of still leave us going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure really what's going on here. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's, it's to go back to Isaiah 53, 12, where it says that our Savior, our Messiah, will be numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus' baptism represented the willing identification of a sinless Son of God being buried, death, and resurrection so he could, he could identify for the, the sinful man who he came to save. So all of those could be there. And, and Jesus kind of lets us know a little bit into why he's getting baptized. He says it's to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that in itself is a little, little muddy as well because what of the righteousness is he, is he fulfilling here? The, the one thing that we can know for certain is that Jesus says, when he says to fulfill all righteousness, he is identifying himself as the Messiah. Because we know in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might become, what? The righteousness of God. So, okay, so I'm not sure whether it's, it's this or that or why he's getting baptized because of this reason or that reason. But I think there's some, there's some other things going on. In fact, I think a lot of times we get a little muddied down or a little weighed down by some of the stuff trying to define it that I think we miss kind of what's really going on in this text. And, and Matthew, if you want to just kind of, if, if you circle words in your Bible, if you ever, like, make notes, circle this word, behold. Because Matthew's going to use that word, and every time he's using that, he's basically saying, pay attention, stop. Listen, this is important. What I'm about to say is incredibly important. And he says, behold, right here. So we, we, we see Jesus getting, we see him getting baptized, and he comes out of the water, and behold, behold. Right when he came up, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting, coming to rest on him. So behold, and this is, this is huge. Now, I'll just paint the picture for you. This is the, one of the areas in the Jordan River, um, and this is a muddy water, and Jesus is coming down in the muddy, and there's a bunch of traditional sites in, in Israel all over, and a lot of them have catfish. Watch out for those, because they poke you with their little things. I guess that's painful. Um, but there's a bunch of traditional sites. We don't know really where it is. We just know he came from Galilee to the Jordan. 
Let's paint this a picture, though. There's a bunch of people around. Pharisees are there. There's a bunch of people coming to see this. And Jesus goes down into the water and comes up, and the heavens are open to him. And behold, and all of a sudden, what seems to be like a dove descends down on him. It's the Holy Spirit, and, and it rests on him. And so Matthew's saying, hang on a second, pay attention. Now, this is the first spot in the New Testament that we see a picture of the Trinity, meaning the three persons of God in action. First, we have Jesus who says, it's to fulfill all righteousness, I need to do this. So he's identifying himself as the Messiah. Second, we see the Holy Spirit as he descends down and rests on him. That rest means takes up residence, resides on him. Doesn't just kind of come and bask. It's like takes place on Jesus. And then we see um, God coming from heaven in probably what I presume to be a lot more powerful and, and better voice, but like Morgan Freeman style, like, this is my beloved son. Do you ever do a voice for God? I feel like his would be it. I don't, I don't know why, but he's got an awesome voice. But this voice is even better. So we see all three parts of, of God in, in, in action, in play right now in this spot. And so that gets this text a little bit muddier. Okay, so now we're going to start talking about the Trinity, and this will be fun because really most of us can know a little bit about the Trinity or all three persons of God, but it gets um, really confusing. Um, each, each part of the Trinity has a distinct role. Um, typically, we see the Father's will, the Father willing, uh, Jesus Christ accomplishing, and then the, the Spirit applying the work of the Son for the glory of God, and that's typically what we see. But see, I, I want to just real quickly say in this section, so here with the scene. Now, when I was baptized... Um, it was, I think, a lot of people in my past would say it was a miracle that that happened, but the heavens didn't seem to open up, and I didn't, no one saw a dove descending on me. So I want to say, like, maybe the Spirit, I'm not going there, but, but that picture, I wasn't in the Jordan. It wasn't a miracle in that regard. This text is descriptive of who Jesus is, not necessarily prescriptive of how it's to go for all of us. So I think a lot of people will take this text in baptism and say, this is exactly how the baptism comes. The Holy Spirit only comes in baptism. And I, I just want to say, this is a, a text pointing to Jesus and not necessarily for each of us. Now, I will say this, that is a possibility and that could be your story. So I'm not going to minimize that. But what we do know of the Holy Spirit is that he works according to the will of the Father and not ours. And we will never fully, fully understand him. Okay? So... So we see him coming down like a dove, and, and it, to any Hebrew at that time, if you, if you said the word dove, that all meant very clearly sacrifice, sacrifice for the poor. And so they would know that this is a sacrifice. Now, why did the Holy Spirit come down looking like a dove? Twelfth century beliefs made it out to, like they were trying to disprove whether it came down, and so then some of the church said, well, it was a true full dove, and really it was like a dove, similar to the star that was pointing the, the wise men to place. We don't know if it was a star or a comet or what. We just know it was divine. But there's a setting, and it's, it, a dove comes and sits on him. It rests on him. And then John 1, 32 through 34, gives us a little insight into John the Baptist and what he's seeing and experiencing right now. So let me read that real quick. He says, he bore witness, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now this is key because, because John now, so now some people would say in Matthew, well, only Jesus saw this. But John's saying, no, I, I saw it. I saw it happen and I experienced it. In fact, John has a prophecy ahead of time saying that, that whoever this happens to, that's the Son of God. And so we know, okay, this is it. This is this, this scene. The, the 
Jesus is getting baptized. We don't know really why. He comes up, and we're seeing some action in part of, of God the Father, of God the Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus Christ. And we're seeing those three work together at a pivotal time because we know that from here out, from here out, the ministry of Jesus begins in the sense that, I mean, obviously it begins in the birth, but his public ministry begins where he starts preaching and we see miracles. So then that raises the question, okay, well, hang on a second. So does that mean that Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before or he did after? Or what, what's going on here? And I think, let me just say this. There's, there's a lot of things that we can know for sure. We know that, that a bunch of things changed in Christ after this baptism. We know that when, when the Holy Spirit took up residence, whether he chose not to do it ahead of time or he was doing it afterwards, either way, we know that a bunch of miracles happened. The power of the Holy Spirit took place in him. In fact, the very next verse after this says he was led by the Spirit. The very first verse after this. So the question then is, okay, well, did, who was Jesus before the Holy Spirit? How do they exist apart from each other. And what I can tell you guys is, is there are three individuals that equal one and we'll never fully fathom or understand that. And what's hard with that is that we hear that and both, some of us kind of go, ah. Oh. And maybe you're here and you're not sure you believe in Jesus or you kind of have some old beliefs and you just go, yeah, this is one more thing that we don't know about who God is and one more thing and that's it. And I guess I just got to take blind faith and run with it. And here's, here's the problem again. If, if we run there, I think we're missing the point of the text because there's another behold. Matthew doesn't end with the one behold. First, the behold is, hey, look, something crazy is happening. The Spirit of God is descending on Jesus Christ. But let's look at the second behold. Second behold is, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, see, this is, this is important because first he says beloved. Now, that word connotes this deep, rich relationship and love. It's used, it's used here for the Father's love for us. And here's the interesting thing about that word. In Romans 1, 7, it's used for the Father's love towards us as well. So first we see beloved of him towards Jesus. Romans 1, 7, Father's love towards us. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, it's how we are to love each other as followers of Jesus. So this beloved word, we hear, we hear, we hear God saying, this is my beloved son. Now, pause for a second if you could just put yourself in that scene, minus the modern-day clothing <laughs> and all the buildings and structures, and you just put yourself in this scene, you hear a voice from heaven that has been identified as God saying, this is my beloved son. We gotta stop there for a second. Because if you're really wrestling on who Jesus is, we just know that, that Jesus just said to fulfill all righteousness, this needs to happen. So he's identifying himself as a Messiah. We see God saying, this is my beloved son. And then he says the most beautiful words ever, whom I am well pleased with, which is key. That means that what he's done in these 30 years of life, he's pleased with. That means he's well pleased. He's, he's overly pleased with it. He has done what has needed to be done. And here's the great thing about that. The fact that he identifies that in Christ, any one of us, any one of you or me who are in Christ Jesus, well, guess what? He is well pleased with you. And maybe, before we go on, maybe I, I want to just pause. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Because you have been performing and performing and performing and performing, hoping to get some kind of pleased feeling from your Father in heaven towards you, when all you need to do is reside and rest in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because he's well pleased with him. If we are in Christ, he is well pleased with you. 
He's a worthy sacrifice. When we are in, when we are in Christ, God is well pleased with us. See, maybe that's all we need to hear. Your significance, your worth, your identity is in Christ. And God is well pleased with you. But see, there's something, I think, even bigger going on in this text. And I think if we're not careful, we'll just rush through it. Because we get a little distracted by, okay, well, how's the Trinity work? Or we get distracted on, why did Jesus really get baptized? Or we kind of find some, some time trying to dig into that. And I think we miss something. The heavens were opened. The heavens were opened in front of these people. Okay, there's only one other time that we see that in the New Testament, and that's, that's in, or I guess there's more than that, but there's one other time with Jesus, and both times God says the very same thing about who Jesus is. And we get that in the, tran- the mountain at the transfiguration. That's a really big deal. And, and as I, even as I say that, I feel like, um, I feel like we, we lose sight of that. Maybe, maybe we can relate too well to, to John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist just told us through the Apostle John's inspired word, that he was, what was the word? I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a, like a dove. And then he ends it with, and I have seen and, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist was confident. He got a front row seat to dunking Jesus Christ right there. And he saw and experienced this whole thing in chapter 10 or 11 of Matthew. You know what John does? He sends letter from prison for some messengers to ask if Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. Here's, here's the guy that, that sees this, that, that bore witness, that says this is the Son of God. And because his circumstances, because he's in prison, and it's not what he expected when the Messiah would come. The Messiah was supposed to come and take rule over everything. All the while, God was planning something so much bigger than that. But in his moment of weakness, in his, in his, in his prison cell, and where he's at, he's going, is this the guy? He's, he's forgetting that just a few chapters, however long that was, earlier, he was saying, this is the Son of God. He was, he was declaring, behold, the Son of God, the Lamb of God is coming. He sees the Spirit descend on him, and he loses track. And here's the problem, guys. You and I do the very same thing over and over and over again. This moment where the heavens are opened, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, and we hear God speak in a voice better than Morgan Freeman's, telling us who he is. And you and I can read through this and go, okay, move on. That's neat. Or we get bogged down in, well, how does the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, how does this all work? And we get kind of bogged down in, well, now why did he get baptized? And you know what? In fact, let's make denominations to fight about that. Let's just do that. And we get bogged down in all that. And I think we missed the whole point. This last May, I got the opportunity to go on vacation with my family. I say opportunity because that doesn't happen very often, and it was awesome. And we were in Moab, Utah, and we were out in the middle of nowhere. Actually, I think it was a date where I was just kind of, I got, somehow got alone, and I was standing at this cliff with this, if you've ever been to Moab, Utah, all the rocks are red, which is just awesome. And I'm standing at this cliff, and there's this huge ravine in there, and there's these rock formed every direction, and it's just glorious. It's just unbelievable, like beautiful. And I'm looking, and I'm kind of feeling really small and insignificant. It's like, whoa, if I fell down there, it'd be game over. And, you know, and I'm looking at all this rocks. And then I have this thought, I have this moment. I'm like, how, how did this form? I mean, how did it happen? Was it millions of years? Was it rain and, and sand? Did God just go, yeah, and there it was? And did he, did he go, yeah, but it was over an age of time? Or how many million years? I had all these questions. You know what was really interesting? Is it didn't derail me. I didn't go, oh, no, I don't know. Is God real? Oh, I, I just, I don't know what's going on. And it didn't derail me. But I spent this time going, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. How have I missed this? Fast forward two weeks later, I'm at home. 
and we're eating dinner um, with a really good friend of ours, Grace, and my two-year-old Olivia has this unbelievable ability that once we sit down for dinner, she always has to go number two. It's just how it works out. So, so there she is. We're, at bed. we're sitting down for dinner. We all get ready to eat, and Olivia's like, I got to go potty. It's like, of course you do. So Jen gets up and takes Olivia off to go potty, and Grace and my older daughter Ava and I are sitting at the table. And I look over at Ava, and there she is with her plate, and she's got some carrots, and she's like, and this carrot's daddy, and this carrot's mommy, and she's just, don't worry, it's not going anywhere like that. Um, no, she's sitting there having this full-on conversation where she's like, blah, 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 eats daddy, and then picks up another carrot and, and starts talking some more, and she is enamored with her food, and she's still eating, so I'm just kind of like watching it. And as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm sitting there looking like, man, this girl is like that carrot is truly daddy, and somehow she can eat daddy, but then daddy comes back in another carrot. What happens when the carrots are gone? Like, is she just daddyless? Like, what's going on? And so I look over at Grace, and I'm like, look at her. She is so enamored by her vegetables. I mean, this is amazing. Like, she's, like, this is a real, this is a real thing to her, and she's spending so much time eating these food and playing this specific whatever she's playing. And I look at Grace, and I'm like, when did we lose that? When did, when, did that, when did that drift out of me? Like, when did I lose the ability to play with carrots? So if you see me trying later on, it's because I'm trying to figure it. No, that's not the point. But I'm like, when did we lose that? When, when did that escape us? And when did that disappear? And Grace is like, you know, I don't know. That's interesting. I'm like, there's just this, this desire to just be in a spot that makes no sense at all, but be okay with it. Like, and, and just to wonder, like, what's going on in her head? And so I sit there and I take another bite and I look over at Grace and, and Grace has got a piece of broccoli in her hand. And she's staring at it. <laughs> Long enough that I'm going, okay, I should probably ask what's going on now. Now, this next part I need to put a disclaimer on. I don't want to know the answer, okay? I'm sure the answer is simple, but I don't want to know it. So don't you dare ruin this for me, okay? So here she is. She's looking at this broccoli, and she says, I go, what are you doing? She says, does broccoli flower? I'm like, huh. I pick up my broccoli. I'm like, I don't know. But why would it flower? If it flowered, would it lose its taste? And then we start asking all these questions about broccoli, and so we're staring at our broccoli. Well, then in comes Jen with Olivia, and here's Ava playing with, you know, Daddy and Mommy and eating us, and Grace and I staring at our broccoli. You know, which I'm sure was, she did what any sane person would do when they walk in the room. Oh, what are you guys doing? And I asked the question, I said, I don't know, does, does broccoli flower? And Jen said the three words that I think each one of us, each one of us are prone to say that affect our relationship with God substantially. She said, look it up. And that makes sense. In our age, I mean, some of you right now are looking up whether broccoli flowers on your phone. I'm sure of it. Someone is, rat yourself out. Come on now, right? In our age, it's look it up. She said that the very rational thing, well, just figure it out. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to. And at that moment, the rocks in, in Moab with my daughter playing on her food to the broccoli all just kind of collided and it hit me. It hit me. In our age of look it up and having to know the answer, that when we don't know the answer, it rattles and shakes us to a spot of our faith isn't real or we don't have a firm foundation. We lose everything. And I'm not saying that I enjoy broccoli more because I don't know whether it flowers or not. That's, a, that's an analogy, okay? So don't think that broccoli is some kind of holy. But here's what I am saying. I believe I enjoy God more when I can look at his creation and marvel instead of going, how, God? How, how? Tell me how. As some entitled little brat that wants to know the creator. When I can just sit and say, man, God, you are so big. You are so amazing. I will never understand this, but this is glorious. And you know what it did to me? It brought me to a spot of worship because I went, I'm not gonna know. 
I'm not going to know if broccoli flowers, and I'm going to worship God for that. No, I'm not going to know how he formed these rocks. And I can have ideas, and we can, we can come up with some, some neat, fancy conclusions, and we can show science to it, and we can put all sorts of things in it, but when it comes down to it, we can't know for certain. So I can sit here and spend a bunch of time looking at you guys and teaching you about why I think Jesus was baptized, how important that is, and it is important, it is a valuable. I'm not claiming for some kind of ignorance and, or naivety. I'm saying that those are valuable, but I think the problem is, is when we seek to know those answers, we lose the wonder of who God is. When we seek to find out and define these things, we get in a spot where we miss the behold, the heavens opened. We get where John the Baptist is a few chapters later going, are you, uh, you know, this isn't how I planned my life to go. I thought when Jesus came, life would be X. And therefore, are you really Jesus? When we lose the wonder, when we lose that, that spot of, man, I don't know how God works together as one individual but three individual people. I don't, I don't know how that works. I don't know how God, Jesus was fully human yet fully God and perfectly sinless and now has the Holy Spirit on him. I, I don't really know how that works, but here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Everything around who Jesus Christ is changes everything for us, for all of history. Everything changes in him. Everything. Him being fully God and fully man and then living out his ministry before he is crucified only to be buried and raised and to sit at the right hand of God so that God is well pleased with him. That when we believe in him, he is well pleased with us. So maybe, just maybe, what you need to hear today is you need to go, okay, what are those questions in my mind? And some of them, if we were really honest, are just silly. And here's the thing. Most of us, are, because we've been around church, most of us, our questions aren't really like, well, did dinosaurs walk or did they not? We're not really doing those things. Most of us, our questions are, is Jesus really Lord of my life in this? Whatever it is in this relationship this school, in this finances, in this whatever. And, and we start questioning God to try and find scripture to understand or we, we want to we divulge the scripture. Here's the funny thing. We want to know more about the scripture. You know who, who, who discerns the scriptures for us? It's the Holy Spirit of God. We don't really play any role in that. The Holy Spirit of God is what does that for us. The deep thoughts, the understanding, the knowledge of God comes from the Holy Spirit. That's one of his roles. So I would challenge you guys as you look at this scripture, I would ask you this question. Do you still have any wonder in God? When we turn, we're about to turn to some, just some crazy stuff in Jesus' life. Next week we get to talk about Satan and, and temptation. It's gonna be awesome. But when you hear this stuff, do you just kind of take it as, oh, good, and you take it like homework and you put your little list down and it just falls on deaf ears. I know that about God on lack of action. One of the reasons why we serve on Sundays is because I believe, Josh and I believe, that the church does a really good job of trying to know Jesus but never actually be who he called us to be. And so we close down Sundays not so you guys don't learn about Jesus but so that you can actually apply some of the things that you already know about who he is. And that's loving some of the other people in this community. If we're going to spend who knows how long in Matthew, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus we're going to spend a lot of time looking at who he is and what he's done and what it means for our lives. I hope that when you come to these stories, you don't just gloss over them. I hope that you sit there and you ponder. And in your pondering, in your moment, I hope that the Holy Spirit wrecks in and brings something new to you that draws you more and more and more in love with God. So in love that you can't sit still, that he moves you to action. As the band comes up, we're going to sing some more. Whether it's
Jesus being baptized or Jesus being tempted or how he begins his ministry or, or the, the Sermon on the Mount when he's preaching, no matter what it is, I would encourage you guys, just maybe, just maybe in your life, you've just taken things a little too serious. It's time to go down and wonder if broccoli flowers or if you can eat a carrot and it can be daddy at the same time. Or maybe you just need to stop looking at your life and the circumstances as to whether or not oh, I need to be married or I should have a kid or does he like me or does she like me or do I, do I get the right grades? Do I need to get the right job? Is tomorrow going to happen? Maybe we just need to stop at all that right now, focus out just a little bit and recognize, oh man, the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Jesus is the Son of God and all of my life and all of your life is about him, not about us. And we get so fixated on what God is doing in and around us that we forget who he is. And the fact that what he's doing is bringing glory to himself. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week, but one of the things the Holy Spirit's primary role, as John talked about this, is to glorify Christ. So I would tease you with the question, and then I'll pray. If you are struggling in life to figure out, man, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing, I would ask you, is your life lived for God's glory or for your own? Because if you want the full power of the Holy Spirit, you need to figure out how to bring more glory to Christ through that spirit inside of you. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your work. Thank you for the things that we don't know. God, there are a number of things that we can, we can pull from text and we can see, but God, I just pray that sometimes we would just sit at your text. Father, I just pray that sometimes we would sit and let your spirit just speak to us. God, I pray that we would, um, we would not let your, your words just hit us and go, that's neat, but God, that your words would transform our lives to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we wouldn't go through the motions. God, I pray that you would, in, in an individual, tangible relationship way to each and every person this week, reveal yourself and how big you are to where it overwhelms us and draws us to worship you. You are worthy of that worship, God. God, you, you, you have shown us over and over and over again in our lives. May we not be so fixated and so selfish on ourselves that we forget to see what you are doing and what your purposes are. Father, may we have the wonder that you instilled in us. It's in us when we're little. We're born with that wonder. And forgive us for, for focusing on all the other things that go on in our life, God. Forgive us for losing sight of, of the fact that you are beautiful. God, that there are no words that can truly discern or to say or to speak that would even give you justice of how amazing you are. God, would you bring us to a spot where we are broken down, where we realize that you are enough, where we realize that you are God. We pray all this in, in your precious son's holy name, Jesus Christ, and the work that he did and that he's beginning as we study in it right now, God. Amen.